Welcome back to NALP's Young Professionals Network podcast, Growing in the Green Industry. Today's podcast is powered by our YPN network partner, Steel. Steel makes a full line of gasoline and battery-powered outdoor power equipment for the demanding landscape professional. Find yours at steelusa.com. Your hosts of today's episode include myself, Neil Glatt with Grow the Bench, and Brett Lemke from RM Landscape. How's it going, Brett? Hey, Neil. How are you? Good. Happy birthday. Oh, yes. Still feeling the birthday vibes? Yeah. You know, Wednesday birthdays, uh, family made had a lot. We had some fun, but I had to work. You know, midweek birthdays are a challenge. So I'm going to take advantage of the weekend and that it's a combo with Father's Day. And I'm going to I'm going to really go big there. So. And by go big, I mean, just sit in my yard. And I was going to say, what does go just, big for, for yeah. somebody who wants 41 mean? 41 go big means uh, sit in my yard, plant some flowers, and then just zone out for Perfect. as long as I can. Well, if, if this weather continues, then uh, you'll have a nice weekend for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I always appreciated the June birthday. It is a, uh, it's a solid month to be, uh, to be born. Perfect. Well, would you like to uh, introduce our guest today? Yeah, absolutely. Tyler Bloom is joining us, and he is the principal owner of Tyler Bloom Consulting, an independent labor consulting firm based out of Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. The company serves turf grass, green industry, and hospitality industry, focusing search and placement for entry level to C-suite, as well as establishing workforce development solutions for business partners. He's a certified partner with the Predictive and Index, a talent optimization company, and holds an executive certificate from Cornell University in talent acquisition and recruitment. Prior to his role, Bloom spent 17 years in the golf course industry, six as director of grounds and facilities at Sparrows Point Country Club in Baltimore, Maryland. He is consistent contributor to industry publications such as the golf course industry, active industry speaker, and widely recognized for developing workforce development solutions, including his work with youth, apprenticeships, and un- underrepresented segments of the workforce. Welcome, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing good, Brett, and uh, I guess happy birthday to you. Yeah, geez, guys. All right. This, now it's getting a little crazy with all this birthday stuff. So, um, well, thank you. And, uh, and well-timed to be talking to you this year. Uh, as I could imagine, everybody hopes that you have the answer to all of our uh, labor needs. And so... Well, actually, Neil, I think you and I should just go quiet and let him just tell us how to make this, make all our lives easier. Is that good? That's, go for that it. Work. Yeah, yeah. Is it, it's not that simple, of course. Uh, so how busy have you been this year, Tyler? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty uh, wild ride here in the last two, three months. It's the hottest topic outside of our industry, not just in our industry. Um, so I live in a pretty rural town, uh, about two hours east of, or west of New York City, kind of two hours north of Philadelphia, small town, I mean, small town USA, and every business you drive by for hiring, are now hiring signs. doesn't matter what industry. So yeah, I think uh, what a good time for me to get into a business and start a, and start a business in the middle of a pandemic, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall with this, uh, where we would be today and just found this would be a really unique niche opportunity. So I, I have no doubt. I think the pandemic has sort of really blown this up to proportions that I, none of us could have predicted or prepared ourselves for. But uh, what you're trying to solve for your clients has been a, a lifelong need and, and developing that. And 
the numbers have grown, right? So the, the, I think that has become a big part, but the, the level of and the right people with the right companies, that's always been there in, in a very real part of uh, the day-to-day jobs of small business or, or all business. Yeah, you know, I, I would say that uh, the issue in our industry specific wasn't because of the pandemic. It already existed um, five, 10, maybe years earlier than that. I mean, I talked to people in the landscape green industry that say it goes in ebbs and flows. And it's really honestly even regionalized, um, which, which is what I've realized here in the last, you know, six to 12 months in this business is there's some areas that don't have an issue getting people. Big reason is because the culture there is really good. They, they support their people and they've got a very family oriented kind of functionality. But, um, you know, regardless if it's in a metro area or like where I'm located, it's definitely been a, I guess you could say the issue has sort of blown up even more. Um, you know, so I think businesses are retooling and are, I think, really looking at talent management to be a part of their ongoing operations where before it was sort of like, ah, you know, we're not having issues. We're going to get through. Now I'm seeing more businesses are going to be spending money, um, you know, not just because it's me, you know, that's not it, but there's, there's other things in talent management, whether it's applicant tracking systems, whether it's marketing. Uh, utilizing social media to market positions. I mean, these were things that were almost like a luxury or maybe people didn't even know existed before to do. And now it's going to become a staple part of their daily operations. And so what, uh, so what drove you to, to start this and, and get into this business? Well, I've certainly been fortunate to be, uh, to be a part of some great teams uh, throughout my tenure. And I think I've just had a natural passion for networking, leadership development. And, um, you know, I think I was somebody who was lucky to develop some systems and some practices that I felt could help people. I actually would start getting phone calls from golf course superintendents and landscape companies about three, four years ago on what I was doing with youth to get young people into the industry And at that point, I kind of thought, well, there's nobody really in this space um, in in placement or like consulting on on talent. And so I kind of like just the best way to say it is I I, I had almost a side hustle and I kind of kept working at it and thought, man, this is legitimate. Um, Kind of the stars aligned last year with COVID. Um, My wife lost her job. Um, We live in Baltimore. We have two kids, uh, three and one. And so actually our youngest was born April 29th, you know, kind of at the beginning of this whole mess. And, uh, you know, we just kind of made a calculated risk. I said, if I'm ever going to do it, now's the time. If we're going to have to repivot, my wife already lost her job. So we lost that income. We didn't really necessarily see ourselves in Baltimore, you know, a long time. And so we moved back home, you know, June 13th of 2020. And uh, yeah, just it's been a whirlwind. I mean, to sit here last year and think of where would my business be a year from now? I didn't see myself getting as much involved in like search and placement for general labor, but that's the need. I thought more my role might be more consulting companies, but I realized they don't have the people to do the recruiting. And so it's sort of morphed and evolved month to month. Um, So I would tell you on a day-to-day basis, I interview I mean, I pretty much have interviews scheduled from eight o'clock till about five o'clock on a normal Monday through Friday. I've taken phone calls, screenings, uh, looking at resumes, um, 
And then I'm getting calls at from mid-level management positions and all the way up to, you know, golf course superintendent, uh, landscape management. It's just been kind of crazy. Like the need is so desperate and I've actually had to push business away because I'm only one person. Like I'm not outfitted like a, like a typical staffing agency. So, you know, it's business development. Like I'm losing money. Now I've got to figure out, okay, I need to kind of stop and spend 20% of my time on business development because I can't meet the demand that's there. So Tyler, what a lot of companies can't even get people to respond to some of their ads right now for postings, right? What, what's some of those insights or systems that you've developed where you're just jam packed with interviews? Um, you know, so I think one using technology, whether that's having a good applicant tracking system that posts to all the different, you know, job boards, I think having a good, uh, you know, good job descriptions to entice people, not just your, your boilerplate copy that looks very standard that every landscape company or golf course maintenance or sports turf, you know, uses really understanding the culture of a company and being able to articulate what are the behavioral needs for those roles and the kind of team that exists. So it's really kind of like a partnership with the, with the businesses to, to understand that and make sure it gets communicated out to job seekers. I would tell you that different, some of the different things that I do is a lot of outreach. So I'll connect with Department of Labor representatives and then that'll kind of trickle down to the local level where they'll connect me with a, with a local career center um, and it's not always about that first point of contact. It's about who they know that can help, right? So it could be a school system, could be veterans affairs. I mean, I've had churches call me. <laughs> I mean, that's not like what I really thought of talent outreach is to get in touch with a, with a priest or somebody else. But sometimes like those, you know, connections happen just organically. So I, you know, I think it's a system. It's a continuous outreach funnel. Um, you know, obviously using social media to market positions. I mean, there's so many cool tools with Facebook marketing, Instagram marketing, where you can really focus your, your outreach to a specific demographic. Um, so those are the things that I do on a day-to-day basis. And then honestly, the biggest thing is just word of mouth. A lot of the candidates, I'll always ask them, you know, if they're not interested in the position, do you know somebody else that would? I ask that question. And usually the answer is yes. So going a a little bit deeper. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I used to hire, um, you know, temporary positions for snow shoveling. And my best group of people were in a faith-based addiction recovery program and built a relationship with the program over the years. And I always tell people who I network with, like, we are so fortunate that it doesn't matter what you look like, what's on your background check, like in almost every condition, you can be employed in the green industry because we're not working inside. We're not working in, in high tech or high security situations uh, 99% of the time. And our clients don't really care who we bring to the site as long as they're safe and sober and um, you know, on the job anyway. And um, it, you can compete for the same candidates with you know, local fast food joints or local banks. But if you can find a population that is going to really have trouble getting those positions, then your chances skyrocket of being able to find good, stable employment. And those people, by the way, in my experience, have been the ones who were most dedicated to doing a great job and 
finding stability and, and providing, getting their life back on track and providing for their family. Yeah, I think um, there's something to be said, like we're in, a, we're in a state of the industry where I think you have to redefine what that candidate looks like, what kind of attributes they bring to the table, um, flexibility in the work schedule is like really critical to today's job seekers. So being able to adapt to the market, um, listen, there's a lot of people I interact with that look at me and say, this guy's full of baloney, right? And they don't want to deal with me because they're stuck in their ways. Yet they're the same people that week to week complain about not having anybody coming to the table. So a lot of times too, like what I do is educate you know, the, the, the hiring manager or the company and really evaluate what they currently are doing. And they, like, it's not intentional oftentimes, it's just that's their natural tendency uh, to sort of be standoffish or push people away. So I think I can give people a very objective third-party viewpoint. By no means am I an expert recruiter, okay? <laughs> I'm not Aerotech you know, which is based in Baltimore, I'm not a staffing agency, but I think I have enough industry, uh, a green thumb for what job seekers are looking for in today's employer. And honestly, I find myself at this point kind of like not necessarily marketing to businesses more so, but actually marketing to candidates and taking that feedback from candidates and almost repurposing that and, and teaching that to the employers. So, but, you know, I think back to what uh, Brett said, why did I get in this? I love being around teams. Um, I like kind of the diversity that there's, that there's involved in recruiting and you, it's like problem solving, you know, every industry or every, every business that I work with, it's not the same template. It's not like I can go in there and follow the same exact three-step process. Sometimes it takes a little bit more digging to see what the issues are. It's not as simple as just bringing bodies to the table um, because oftentimes those bodies aren't gonna work for that you know, sort of culture. So it's, it's really, there hasn't been a single day that's been the same, I can tell you that. And there hasn't been a business partner that's had the exact same you know, situation. Yeah, God bless the green industry for that kind of, <laughs> there's no such thing as a, the same day twice. It might feel like, wow, I think I've been here before. And then yeah. uh, the reality comes in. Oh, yeah. Um, so demand is high uh, for people needing your help finding talent within their company. But it, what is your perspective of the supply and of people that are interested in going to the companies? And what is what's the market out there for those right now? I, I would tell you that I think what's consistent to me talking to job seekers is they don't know this exists and they don't know the steps of progression. They have a, a, an understanding of landscaping like, oh, it's just going to be a, a grunt type job. There's no career opportunity. I'm going to be making low entry type wages. And conversely, it's no, actually, you can come into this business right now. And if you... If you have basic employability skill sets, you're going to move up the ladder quick because the need is so great, regardless if it's a head position or mid-level management position, could be a, an irrigation technician kind of specialized role. Um, I mean, just your general groundskeeping, like the need is so much is so there. So 
I, I just, I think the supply is there. It's just, does the company have the time to invest into that outreach? And, the, and are they positioned to actually market what they have to offer um, to be competitive, if that makes sense? Um, I will be honest with you, on a, on a, for an average client right now, it's taken me anywhere from as quickly as seven days to hire. Uh, the longest that I've had right now is 45 days. And it's not just filling a body. It's, it's making sure it's, they're vetted, they pass a background check, um, they come with great references, they fit sort of the behavioral makeup that they're looking for in that role. And, um, you know, maybe it's beginner's luck, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I have not had a difficult time finding people for entry-level type work all the way up to, to, to that kind of head position. Well, uh, interesting perspective. And, and as a an employer, um, we recognize that we have a, we have gaps. Not our, we just spent some time yesterday on it, and our gap isn't as large as we thought. It may feel like that in the spring because everybody needs something tomorrow. Right. And wouldn't it be nice to have another forty people part of our organization to go get those things done? And r- really, we probably, you know, need to just schedule better and prioritize differently, and we will have better um, management of that. Um, but we were. I think we were looking at maybe wow. we were ten percent off where we want to be, and the and we've had it. And so many clients come to us and say thank you, or, or, or appreciate this. We understand the challenges you're having with employment, and we're and we'll sometimes just nod there quietly, like yeah, and like yeah, it was a talent issue or it was a employment. Like no, it was really just we prioritized things differently. We didn't have what we thought we needed, right? And so, but so we've gone along with it, but I think where we're talking to the team is like, you know, if we're in only 10%, that's who we are normally. Let's be proud about that. And let's be speaking to the, we're not having challenges with our retention and people. We have the staff, we need to do it. Um, and aren't you lucky you partnered with a company like ours that don't have these kind of pieces? Uh, it doesn't feel like that. And then they're like, okay, well then why didn't you do this? Like, Oh, sorry. never mind. It was a staffing issue. Sorry. Um, but, uh, but it, it, it's the, we're not putting the time and effort to your point, Tyler, of really keeping that door open, pushing people through at any one point, someone's sick on vacation just doesn't show up. So of course we should always be looking for the next person or someone's just not going to meet our values or expectations. So they should be transitioned. We're afraid to transition somebody because well, we need that person out there. That's, that's 40 hours a week that that person can give us. How do, how do we let that go? And, and so it's even, it got even scarier to make the right decision nowadays, it seems like. Yeah, so, and listen, I'm, I'm gonna sit here and tell you, I was the kind of person as a manager that I oversaw a 300 acre property, private country club in Baltimore. And, um, you know, listen, there were times where it was my first year or two, we only had 12, 14 people where we really needed to be about 20. And it was frustrating and I'd be like, man, we gotta work more, we gotta work more. And all it did was kill morale within the existing team. So there was a, a, a period of self-awareness that I realized I was contributing to the problem by expecting our existing team to go above and beyond and, and not really support them, whether that's compensation or just having extra help. And so I had to take a back step instead of being the person that was constantly in the field doing the job, I had to actually take a step back and almost reprogram what a day looks like for Tyler Bloom. 
And I think I, by doing that, I realized I'd spend more time, number one, focusing on our existing staff and making sure that they had everything they needed, not, not from a compensation standpoint, but from a support standpoint um, as an employee. I wasn't doing a good job of that. And so I think like right now in the state where people are short, you know, short numbers and short staff, I would actually tell you the biggest thing you can do right now is make sure your existing team um, morale's up, engagement's up, and you have a pulse on them because guess what? If you lose them, now you're even in a worse situation, right? So I went through that. I went through that transition and realized I had two options, either change my management and change the way I program out day-to-day operations integrate recruiting onto a, become more of a 12 month type role versus I think a lot of people in our industry focus recruiting in February and March and think that that's going to be the answer. And actually their best, their best recruiting method is just to post a job on Indeed and think that they're going to get the supply they need. And that's just not the case. Oh, wait, what? That, that's, that's my current strategy right now. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I suggest that you revisit that. Now, if it works for you, great, but uh, you're, you're in the minority, my friend. <laughs> yes, agreed. It, it needs and requires more, right? And it doesn't have to go to so far as saying you have to hire some chief recruiting officer and go that formal way and this thing's got to be a whole strategic plan. No, it's just simple steps. And even we struggle at making the simple steps of, of getting people here, the right people here, but it just got to start someplace. Listen, a simple thing that I, I ask, um, and it's not, it's not even just the, the, the supervisors, like let's say a golf club, right? They've got food and beverage. They've got, uh, they've got outside services, golf shop grounds, it's a pretty big organization. And um, so a lot of them are, don't have an HR department, which, which is really surprising to me. A lot of clubs don't have like a formal HR person. They may have an admin person that does HR type stuff. And so I'll ask them, like, do you even have an applicant tracking system? And they look at me like I'm crazy. I mean, it's the simplest little tool that can actually help automate and actually reach out to a bigger audience of job seekers. A simple tool like that um, is helpful. Um, Employee referral programs. You know, you don't have to offer a $1,000 sign-on bonus for people to want to refer someone. They can be small tokens of appreciation, uh, uh, tickets to a sporting event, restaurant. Um, obviously, that probably wasn't a big thing in, during COVID to go to restaurants, but you know, little things like that, just regular recognition and appreciation, those things go a long way that, hey, I would like to refer somebody because I feel like someone cares about the work I do and it's noticed. That's the stuff that's going to make the difference, right? That's the stuff that 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 appreciation and recognition is what the McDonald's managers aren't on board with. Cause if cor- somebody at corporate McDonald's starts pushing that down, you know, by the time it trickles through that organization, they're going to be late to the table where we can pivot right away as managers. Right. Something that was uh, something that I helped, I work with a company up in Connecticut called Tietum Brown. They're full service. Uh, they, they mostly focus on aeration overseeding. They don't really do a lot of like, mowing, trim, detail, landscape kind of maintenance. But one of the simplest things that, that they've done um, through social media is actually just recognize their employees on Instagram, Twitter, whatever their channels are, where they'll, re- they'll highlight an employee's work anniversary, a specific accomplishment. They may interview that person. And I think those small little victories, while it might seem like 
what's this really going to do for me? But over the course of the year, you've got a portfolio to be able to share that in a job profile and a job description that's, that's going to have more of an impact on potential job seekers than a pay. We watched the creation of our team put together just an internal Facebook group and the amount of postings coming from everyone's phones is this and my opportunities to sort of see the work they're doing and reckon, you know, and be able to recognize them there. Uh, to your point, I, I think it feels really good. I think it's, it really is an important part. Is it keeping them here or recruiting more people? I hard to measure at this point, but uh, it feels really good. And our best of our people, you know, to this point uh, are, are staying put. And, and of course, I think see lots of opportunities in many other places. And the same with other people that are very happy at their company. Like, the good ones aren't moving around. And they, if, if you're doing the, the right job for them um, and, uh, and they're recruiting more people to come work for y'all if, uh, if they like it, right? And so they, you can give them the gift card but if they really aren't on completely committed to the idea of the company, then the referrals are going to be light. And we're asking a lot of people about that and, and it's becoming uh, a little, you know, quieter and everybody results back down to this unemployment thing. That's what's holding everybody back, to, you know, and it's just, I'm, I'm not completely convinced that that it's going to be this flush after that goes away, that everybody's back. Like this is something a little bit different than that. The numbers don't add up, right? You got 9.8 million people on unemployment. You have 9.8 million jobs in the U.S. unfilled right now. And we don't get to zero unemployment, right? Normal unemployment uh, or, or fully employed, it's debatable between economists, but it's about 4%, right? Where the jobs aren't available in your market or people exit for a little bit while they go find another opportunity, and the business roundtable, the, the 500 most important, most powerful CEOs just put out their report and they're planning to hire more people than they ever have in history before, right? They're the most aggressive hiring um, uh, initiative happening over the summer. So yeah, when unemployment bonus goes away and school's back in session and vaccines are, are everywhere, I think it will help people get back to work but then it's not going to resolve the labor issue that we're seeing and have been seeing pre-pandemic, in my opinion. Well, what are your thoughts, Tyler? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, again, companies that don't prioritize talent management, and it's not just on the recruiting, it's the retention, it's, it's the entire employee life cycle. If, if they're not doing things to stay competitive, this is going to matter when people come back to work. It didn't matter now. It didn't matter in my, and I'm not trying to blow smoke like that. I'm the end all be all resource. I'm not, but um, I don't think that's, I don't think there's going to be this magic unicorn workforce that just shows up at your door. You're going to have to work hard at it. It's going to be just as important. If it, it, honestly, it's more important than any sort of agronomic strategy, planning strategy, project strategy that you have, because without people, your business is going to suffer. Yeah, so you, pay, more. you pay for it one way or the other. And that's, again, looking back at my time, um, I paid for it. You know, the pay was the pay. What I paid for was customer complaints. It was it was spending more time at the job and not being happy to be home with my wife. 
um, you know, there was some personal things to it too. Is like I had to spend more time at work to get the work done because I didn't have the people. So I needed to again kind of take that step back. I think the other key thing too, and I want to make sure to give a shout out to Jennifer, um, Jim Myers, and uh, you know NELP. I think they're leading the charge, whether it's in sports, turf, golf, landscape, they are absolutely leading the charge on a industry awareness about workforce development. Um, you know, and I think that's not like, that's not a luxury thing. Like they're not doing it because it's a PR thing. It's because it's desperately needed. And I think each individual facility or, or business, you know, needs to kind of look at what they're doing and say, how can I, how can I bring that down to our individual facility level? We can't do it all, right? But we can do some of this and we can build on it each year. And that's kind of what happened for me. Um, I was fortunate to develop a relationship with Baltimore County Public Schools. Uh, back in like 2015, I had a guidance counselor come to my office and talk to me about a work study program. And uh, at the time I was like, had my reservations like anybody else does about youth. Um, I had my issues too, where kids didn't seem interested, uh, not showing up to work, whatever it would be. And essentially what I found was there are students that are interested in the green, green space and green careers. It's, you just need the right people to point you towards them. And so those, that guidance counselor uh, connected to me to students that were in sort of environmental science, biology, those kind of uh, classes. And I was able to start getting kids that were interested in the green, green industry. Fortunately, I had I think five or six schools within 10 miles of me. And so Baltimore County um, has one of the best, what I would call work study, youth apprenticeship type models that there is in the country. And so I benefited from that. And hence, that's how I built my pipeline. So yeah, in the first year, those students might not have been able to do a whole lot, but over the course of a year, two, three years, those students became, you know, key core employees. And then they sold what we were doing there from a team development side uh, to new employees or to their friends. And so when I left Sparrows Point last year, I had not posted a job in two years for any position because it was all fed internally. Um, so I was able to create basically recruiters, um, an internal recruiting network on my own. And I bet you weren't paying them referral bonuses either. <laughs> no, listen, Sparrow's point, uh, to be honest with you, and it's no disrespect, it's just where they're at in the food chain. It, it's a club that was point blank near bankruptcy, a facility that couldn't pay, uh, you know, the average employee when I started was making $10 and 21 cents. So it's not like they're an elitist country club. They're your average middle of the road uh, golf course, if not a little bit below that. So, you know, to not have to post a job in two years and, and we were fully staffed, you know, up to 20 people, you know, it's, I just, I spent the time to create that ecosystem. And I think a lot of employers should, should really consider that. Yeah, I, I agree. I get a lot of calls like you do saying, Neil, should we offer a 401k? Should we offer, you know, more vacation time? Should we up our signing bonus? And it's like, you know, that's, that's a race to the bottom and you, you probably can't afford it anyway, realistically. Right. So, 
um, why don't you just look at your calendar and see where you can invest more time with people? Because that's, that, I mean, it's no secret what employees want. Gallup just published again, their annual state of the work workplace. Number one thing that at least millennials want in a job is growth and development opportunities. It's, it's, so are you getting it or not? And you can't just post it on your recruiting website because you copied a good firms, right? They're going to figure out really quick whether it's happening. And, and 91% of the time when people are changing jobs, they're doing it for a different position, meaning they're not getting the promotion or the change they want internally. So they're going to another organization for it. And it's just, you, you've got to, I meant I have somebody on staff who I who I spend one hour a week mentoring. We call it our coaching conversations, and literally our conversations are, okay, you're going to graduate in 18 months. What do you want to do for a job? What is that job going to want to see on your resume? How can we get you that experience legitimately now? And we every single week we have some version of that conversation uh, about her skills and about where she's at and about what she's learning. And I'm paying for all her. And, and she says, it's my favorite part of the job, which is kind of crazy, right? She works, she works 30 hours a week. Um, one hour a week is me coaching her. <laughs> and that's the, that's her favorite thing is talking about what she's going to do after this position, but she's doing great work the rest of the time as a result. And she's passed on other really good opportunities to stay because we're preparing for the future that way. Right. Becomes that, uh, that, I think that's an important point. Um, we all get caught up in the, well, here's the work ticket, go perform this job, uh, do it safely. And if you can get it done early, let's go do some more work. And in that moment was the opportunity just to explain sort of the why we do this, the how can you do it better? Or what are your thoughts on this? And, and it could just turn into a conversation rather than the, the, you know, the just point and shoot kind of piece. And, I spent some time in the field um, this past week and there was a person that was just joined us and we're talking about weeding, wanted to learn what is, you know, pointing to me, is that a weed? Is this a weed? Is that a weed? And yes. No, you know, please, please do not prune that. Right. That kind of thing. And, uh, and, and, and it was, and we talked about, you know, this is an entry level role, but why do you have to start here? And what's that? How do you have to grow and develop from this? And, and, you know, and I asked the question, well, what, why do you, why do you join us? And what did you do before? And it's a, and it's an engaging conversation that we're not having as often. It is just about get here, punch in and get to work as fast as possible because we have just so much of it. And I think the message that you and Ty were the conversation is home has to be really good. The people you have have to be really happy and you keep retaining. So then you don't have to go constantly looking for people unless you're growing, once you're, until you're growing. And, and then they will keep feeding you with the right people and the talent. And so take care of the house before you get out there. And then that market will just come flying for you. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, we could talk about incentive programs and, and, uh, and reward programs, but that's what they are. They're, they're programs, right? And can you keep them consistent? Most, most businesses can't. But something you can do is go to ask an individual on your staff how they're doing. How long does that take? Minute, five minutes. And that little exercise or that little reach out is going to be worth more to that person because you could have a positive impact in their day. That's bigger than a, than a paycheck. 
oftentimes I've found, and you probably both, um, you probably both have experienced this. I kind of found um, working in this industry, no matter what where you stand and what what part of the industry, uh, there's a lot of really neat structure and almost like you know the team based culture, and not everybody in life has that. So a lot of my employees that came to Sparrow's Point, um, a lot of them came from, and I say this respectfully, but broken homes. They didn't have structure. They had a lot of, if I'd call it chaos, in their life outside of work. And so I always kind of took the approach, um, you know, again, after my first two years of saying, hey, I need to be the best part of somebody's day. And let's make coming here the best part for somebody. I don't want it to be a stressor. I want them to look forward to coming to work. So that requires me having to be active, actively engaged in that, not a bystander and saying and delegating it to an assistant manager or just expecting it to come. Like I have to be actively engaged in this. Um, and, and those things, I think, again, just they add up. And listen, I'm going to sit here and tell you that I had, uh, you know, the world class, you know, New York Yankee staff. We, in some ways, we had a bunch of misfits, but we fit perfectly because it, everybody had a, a niche within our operation and, and their personalities and what they brought were celebrated. Something that I see, um, and again, it was sort of like, it's sort of the evolution of going and, and interacting with different teams in all different segments, is that I think supervisors tend to have like an expectation that that person making $13 an hour is going to be as invested as they are making, whether it's $100,000 or, you know, they're an assistant manager making 60, 70. That's just not going to be the case. I don't, I don't care if that's how it used to be. Um, I know coming up through the ranks that the entry level person should be as invested or working as hard as the superintendent or the head boss, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like, why would they be invested into the success of the company at the bottom of the ring? So I, I think, you know, there's a cautionary tale that sometimes the expectations we put on our people are really unrealistic. And, and it's so important that we do understand what the motivations and drives are for each person and that you build that through rapport. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in two weeks. It takes time. Oh. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, and I was, it took me far longer to figure this out than you did. And uh, I was far worse in, in my early days. But the, the reason I did was because I had, you know, 15 or 20 field managers who were logging their time and some were spending too much time working compared to what we quoted the jobs at. And so I called them in to, you know, have a little come to Jesus about their time cards. I'm like, what even are you doing? with all of these hours that you're logging and they're like, I'm calling my guys. I'm learning about their birthdays. I'm, you know, finding out how the baseball tournament went. And I'm like, and these are my best performing people, right? They're the people underneath them. Their teams are performing better. And I'm trying to walk this line between not getting them too upset, but getting their hours down to, to within reason. And it was like the same story time and time again, they were building personal relationships and rapport with their people. And they were making up for that on the, on the profitability in the field and the retention in the field. We took half a step. It only took me, you know, two and a half interviews to figure out, oh my God, there's a pattern here. And it's a pattern I've never valued or even been aware of. 
And we took a couple steps back and we're like, holistically, this is so much better. And within one season, I'd flipped the script where now the mandate was, if one of your people ever tells me that you're mistreating them, that you're yelling at them, that they feel devalued, you're getting fired on the spot. This is how important the relationship and their opinions of you as a manager are. Um, and it was a game changer for everything, retention, recruitment, profitability. And people are like, oh my God, this is a great place to work. Where do you guys see, I mean, and you know, you guys have been asking me the question, but where do you see the hiring landscape right now? Like, let's flip this around. Like, what are you seeing and uh, what are some of the solutions you're finding? Well, I, you know, I don't hire as many frontline people anymore now that I'm working with companies. They're, my clients are still, you know, struggling, but um, the ones who are grinding are finding enough people, right? And um, same thing, I, I talked about this gal who I hired um, six or eight months ago. I invited probably 400 people to apply for this position with LinkedIn messages. Um, and I was able to get, uh, you know, 80 responses. And then I had um, about 50 uh, inter uh, resume screens. And then I had 30 interviews. And then I put five through a talent assessment. And then I made my final hire, right? And it was grueling. Like that was my job for two straight weeks, basically. Um, and, and very little else happening, but, um, it was, that's what it took to get the person who I could invest in, who's going to carry me through for two years, um, while she finishes school, you know? Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll say that, um, I, I'm with, on our, in our frontline team, we've, we, the, the level of, the ease is, is gone. So we used to have stacks of applications and referral opportunities, and those have gone away uh, a lot quicker this year. Um, but we're, and for where we are, we got about right people need a little bit more, but it's standard to how we've been doing it as I shared. The, um, I think we have to develop the team further because our future field managers are within our organization, right? And our maintenance group has about 80 people. And if we can, you know, so there's plenty of people there. Some of them are brand new and may not really figure this industry is the right one for them. And others are learning that this is a pretty good place to be and they could become future leaders. And so how are we fostering those? And so where the stress team seems to be a lot is that field manager role to lead the crews is what we, as we, as our title for them. And they, uh, and, and making sure they're really prepared for the day and feel supported. Uh, and when that happens, the days in the field go pretty dang well when they're left and there's chaos or the people don't show up, they, they're, they're not prepared and, and how to and trained, how to manage that. And so that's been a pinch. Uh, I, I hear in our marketplace that there is companies that are struggling and certainly we're struggling with moments of service and everywhere too, but um, will those companies sustain? Will people, uh, smaller organizations be able to hold on through this? If they're missing 30 to 40% of their workforce, will they, exist next year and so we've just got to continue to present ourselves as a strong established business here for the talent and the clients and i think we'll uh we'll be just fine and we'll and i think at, 
I like to think I've not measured this, but I hope that people in our industry are aware of us as a company. And that if something changes, well, let me go find out what they're up to. They haven't came to us yet and that's okay, but hopefully someday they'll, they'll recognize that if they like this, that we might be a person they want to speak with. So that's, um, you know, and before all the pandemic, it was H2B. It was just huge gashes in the workforce gone with one letter, right, sent to you. And, and we have many peers that struggled with that. And so I've shared that story more than I've ever thought now with, with people in my organization about how a peer company went through these struggles with, you know, lost 100 people. And, and, look, and it was some of their most challenging years ever, but they persevered and got through that. And so this is no different, just different circumstances that led us to the same piece, struggling to get the work done. And the relationship becomes just, also essential. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, our you know most of the clients I work with, their their staffs are let's call it somewhere between fifteen to maybe forty tops, maybe in the fifty. I can't imagine losing a hundred people like without massive change to operations and service. Well, and and how they quickly move to just. The, the hiring piece. And, the, and so they responded, I, I suppose it's still a reaction to it, but their focus was fill in the seats. And then they were out there doing the work that they needed to get done. I, I, um, and they were just in front of their clients as often as possible. We have, I had uh, our office said to me or a few people says, well, and we actually starting to see it a little bit in our market, people, you know, saying pardon our delays we're dealing with a national crisis of employment or, you know, they're trying to work in the piece. And so some saw that in our company says, well, should we put something like that out there? And, and I was quick to say, I'm not ready to share why, you know, pardon our delays, but I am interested in probably crafting the, the communication that says, you know, here's what we're doing in light of challenging uh, workforce numbers where we've engaged over time, we've reconfigured routing, we've, you know, what are the few things you're doing? So not to say, please give us time because we don't have the people that it's going to be an excuse. And I'm just not a big fan of excuses. It's just, you know, here are the few steps you're doing. Does it help your circumstance and your situation, client A? Maybe not, but we're trying and we're thinking differently and, and, and we're continuing to recruit and so on. And, and so I, well, I have not released that letter yet. I, I, th- if I had to, that would be my position is uh, avoid the excuse, but just say, here's what we're doing and, and show our best f- face forward. Where do you see the, I'm, I'm curious, uh, in terms of diversity, um, where, where is, where do you see the landscape industry at right now? And when what efforts do you see individual organizations taking? Because I'm, that's a huge, I guess you could say, initiative for myself and my company, and what I try to do for employers. So I'm curious to hear what, you know, other people are doing. Well, I think I think NLP is again taking the lead role in um, at least creating a forum and and sharing some of those voices, right? Um, with uh, some of the statements they put out. There's also the uh, Women in Landscape Network and the um, Latino Landscape Network. I don't know if that name changed. I may be wrong on that. Maybe, Brett, can you fact check me on the name of that uh, second network? But anyway, I guess not. <laughs> um, but I think, I think NALP continues to provide the space to have those conversations and bring awareness to those issues. 
Um, and I think some companies have responded terrifically. I think other companies have pretended it's a non-issue and I think they'll feel those repercussions. Um, but uh, hopefully as, as an industry or at the very least as an association of the professionals in this industry, I think there's um, movement uh, in that direction. Yeah, I agree. Um, we have lots of work to go. I, I appreciate what NALP is doing and it's bringing the conversation into our office a great deal more. And we're thinking uh, about how uh, and where we need to be more focused and, and inclusive. And we, you know, we're uh, excited that we, and we celebrate the diversity that's in our organization already, but it could be greater. And, um, and we hope that uh, just again, through the referral or they love where they work, uh, team members will find, you know, their respective family and friends and peers that would say that this is, this is a good company that, it, you know, shares that level of respect uh, that they've been looking for in a workplace or in opportunities, however that exists. And, um, and so, uh, and we've, you know, where, where, where it was male dominated uh, to even point out like some of the hardest working team members are women and it's being recognized more and more than ever. And it's like, well, how, shoot, should we be doing this? Like, why are we so slow to come to that realization that that diversity changes the attitudes of the crews, changes the workflows. There's just a lot of positives that have come out of that. So um, I, uh, I, while we have not figured out how to be very specific in our recruiting efforts, it's, uh, it's just being very open and, and trying to uh, recruit and develop uh, everybody in the organization. And we just had a, a gentleman Hispanic gentleman that has now become a field, uh, an area manager for us. And he's been in the field for years. And so um, we wanted to show the big part in our world is like, you come from the field, you can grow into these roles very well. And his bilingual strength will hopefully promote to those that are his, you know, Hispanic peers that this is the company that really does recognize there's a, there's a path. And so exciting pieces um, and, and necessary, especially when, your point you've got to when you have to start hiring lots of people and and your workforce has to really be bigger than you've ever expected it then you have to really branch out much further i think that storytelling brett it, whether it's diversity or growth and development or even just culture in general right um having being able to share those stories around the organization um i i think is really a key for success to share that this is the culture that we're striving for even if we're not there yet and and will carry you to that destination you you agree tyler you tell great stories of your experience so i'm assuming so yeah i mean listen i i can firsthand tell you that uh like diversity in the workforce for me like come thinking about like coming up was latinos right so working with people that didn't speak english so that was like sort of my early exposure um I would say from like women in, in the industry, very limited, but the, but the women that I worked with were kick-ass. They, they just did an awesome job. There was never, a, I think they probably felt sort of a, and it's not right that they, that they feel this way, but that they almost had something to prove, which made them better employees and made them very productive. Um, ironically, my first hire as for an assistant management position um, was a female. Um, she was awesome. Just, 
I think the biggest thing that I took away from like her time there uh, was kind of understanding how I want to say this. Like, it's hard when you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And so where do those people go? Like, what do they believe in? What, where, what's the work environment like for them? And kind of having that open dialogue, despite, I can tell you a lot of times, I certainly got an earful of maybe some things that I enabled. Um, fortunately, she was like, just, I mean, again, just super awesome in what she did and, and was, was really direct with me on what was acceptable and unacceptable. And um, I think I listened as best as I could, not to say I was always 100% perfect, but I think for a lot of people, I had somebody tell me this about a week ago um, when talking about diversity, whether it's multicultural, ethnicity, or, or gender specific, that it's hard for them to put themselves in someone else's situation because that's not what they, that's not where they came up. Like that's not their upbringing. And so I think it's a challenge for everybody, no matter where you're at, is to put yourself in that position to listen and not judge right out the gate. Uh, regardless of where you fit in the political scheme or just your general thoughts and experiences, put yourself out there to just listen to somebody. If you really want to make a change, is just be there and, and listen and don't just knee-jerk react. Um, I think for an, for an employee base, like something else I realized um, kind of when we hired her was I was going to have to provide resources, not just for her, but for other employees to understand what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable in the day-to-day work-life conversations. You know, I, I know our, our former president was often talked about having locker room style talk. Well, that, that's something that's important to people to understand like these things you can't say or not, it's not appropriate to say if we're gonna really try to bring in a, a diverse workforce. So I think just educating uh, people on staff, um, I had, a, and again, this kind of tells you a little bit about the team that I had. We had, we, we had a relationship with an agency um, called the Ark of Baltimore that, uh, that uh, almost was like a placement firm for people with disabilities. And again, I kind of thought, man, this could be a really unique niche and role because there's a lot of jobs that they could do. They could do and find kind of purpose within our within our operations. Obviously, I had a lot to learn with how to handle, you know, a variety of different disabilities. It's not just the the, the cognitive or physical aspects. There, there's other things, limitations that people have. So um, I had to get educated. And, and consequently, I had to educate our staff. I had to educate um, all our stakeholders as to what that environment has to look like and what we need to do uh, to support those people um, and honestly secure buy-in from the staff. Because you make a major change like that, whether it's bringing in a female to a male-dominated uh, team or Latino workers to a predominantly white male, um, you know, English-speaking team, there's a lot of education that you have to put up front and you've got to secure buy-in or it's just not going to work. Yeah, I, I really agree. And, and, you know, I think at the, on the one end of diversity um, and inclusiveness, it's the labor market's too tight to preclude that talent from working for you because your, your company's not inclusive enough. Right. Um, but my experience, and I think the experience of a lot of people who have, been on a team with some diversity is 
the more diverse the team was, the better the team performed because we had more perspectives. Um, we had, we had better discussion and debate. And at the end of the day, we arrived at, at a best possible solution um, because diversity is an advantage at the end of the day. Some people like, and this is um, not everybody that listens to this conversation is going to be in tune with it. And some people are going to say, well, this is just a PR type thing. Right. Um, but I lived it. <laughs> I can speak that I walked the walk. I, I walked the walk. I didn't just say it to say it. Um, and I saw the benefits again, you can look at, I could sit here and tell you business metrics, but the reality is we just had a more cohesive team. We had a better functioning team and it was the right thing to do. Um, and honestly, it, while it seemed like maybe, oh, oh, it's a, it's a big initiative that it took a lot of hard work. It did I'm not going to sit here and lie. It didn't, but it wasn't like, I mean, listen, sometimes it's just being a generally a good person. Not to look at business statistics or any other initiative to say, oh, it makes our company look good. But just sometimes it's the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and it's not going away. I mean, um, you look at some of the um, political and social movements that are happening right now with uh, Juneteenth as a federal holiday and um, LGBTQAI community um, really gaining more movement for inclusiveness. I think that this is going to be a continued issue and uh, maybe we should have you back for another podcast just about diversity and inclusiveness. Um, and I, you know, actually we did have um, a director of diversity a few weeks ago. So if this is a particular area of interest, definitely check out the back catalog of podcast um, episodes here because uh, we featured a lot of voices and, and we'll continue to um, for this and other topics. So um, Tyler, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we wrap up with uh, Rose and Thorn. Brett and I will share from this week. You can share from uh, as long as you want, really. Um, but just simply something that's going good and something that's uh, maybe a little sticky right now. Uh, Brett, you want to start us off? Yeah, uh, I, I embark on the next two weeks of uh, a peer group meeting and then a vacation. And so while I'm sad that I will not be joining you for the next couple of podcasts, I am excited for a, a change in uh, thought and, and space. So, you know, when you get away, it refreshes and I'll be amongst my peers and we'll talk not about, you know, how do we pull the weeds on this property? We're going to be talking about how do we, uh, improve and better the companies. And then, uh, a, a, a wife, my wife, Denise and I, a trip by ourselves, which is going to be like, you know, wow. So we're going to have some, some time away. So that is exciting. Uh, and, uh, with the thorn, I think continues around sort of this conversation is just the right team doing the right things and feeling like we're, we're ahead. And this is, and bringing some, I've been spring, trying to bring a lot of calm to our, our team to say that this is sometimes the most stressful parts and, and just hang in there. It, you know, everyone thinks uh, this is the worst it's ever been. We've never had these kind of qualities. We've never had these kind of challenges with personnel. And it's just like, well, we sort of have, and you just are now new in this and you've been in, I think our average manager has been three to five years or something like that. in some of these roles, and it's like, this might be new for you, but trust in us that we've experienced it, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. And so getting that has been a, been a bit of a hardship. St sticky to your point, Neil. It's been sticky. 
Yep. There's always something. Um, well, for me, uh, I've got two roses this week. One is I got to register for landscapes in person in Louisville. Super excited. Um, especially because we're doing a live podcast uh, session from the trade show floor. So that's going to yeah, be. That's my, thank you for the reminder. I will maybe this year actually make it to the early bird uh, <laughs> signups, right? And so take advantage of those, get signed up quickly, get excited. Yes. Registrations open, ticket events will sell out. So definitely uh, log on. Um, tied to in-person this weekend, I get to go spend some time not too far from Brett in Buffalo, New York with uh, some clients. So I'm excited for a little uh, weekend retreat with them. Um, should be lots of good business outcomes and, and some good fun too. The only thorn, thorn ready I have. for you in Western New York. Come, come on over, buddy. <laughs> well, the only thorn about that is I have to drive myself to Western New York. So, uh, it's, it's yeah, not too yeah, bad. yeah, it's about no, seven it, hours for me, but yeah. it's, it's not right. There's no flight. quick flight that from me to you or that way to Buffalo. So, it's uh, I know good drive. Yeah, good yeah, beautiful so, country. Yeah, I will enjoy it, but uh, maybe not, maybe only the first few hours I'll, I'll really enjoy. Tyler, what do you got going? Um, well, tomorrow's my wife's birthday, so that's a rose. Um, Mark's excited for that, and uh, obviously Father's Day Saturday. Sunday, we go to Rehoboth Beach for four days, and uh, a little bit of work sprinkled in. I'll be speaking at the Eastern Shore Golf Course Superintendent's uh, Superintendent meeting, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, you know, this week was uh, it's kind of cool, like, I've had um. So we've enrolled six apprentices into, into, the, into the apprenticeship program that I help, I help clubs set up um, for golf course management. So it was kind of neat. I got to interact with uh, actually each one of the individual apprentices. Um, and, and, you know, it's sort of rewarding just to hear people say, man, I never knew I had there was career opportunities like this. Um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I'm sort of sitting there like all I did was help facilitate it. It's the, you know, it's the club, it's the facility. So that was um in that that's what that's really why I got into this. You want to help people find career avenues and 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 succeed. That's kind of why I really got into this. That I guess that's my high, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um Thorn, I would say for me right now, I'm in the process of transitioning over uh, some technology um within my day-to-day -day operations, transition into a new I guess you would call it a talent management system. And so just trying to make sure that there's like no gaps from service to existing customers to transition over to a, just a more upgraded, modern, more integrated sort of system. Um, just because I am a single like operator right now, I have somebody that works part-time with me, but um, you know, just trying to balance that. I think it's probably no different. It's no different than if you own like a company landscape company is like, You've got businesses to serve. You got to continue focusing on marketing, refining yourself and your product. Um, so, I mean, that's just the kind of ongo ongoing thorn that I don't know ever really leaves, but uh, that's what makes it fun. I mean, honestly, that's what makes it tick. Like for my personality, I'm kind of somebody that always is like, I like to have things moving and constantly going. Very cool. Well, we appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to help us out on the podcast and share some of your knowledge with all of our listeners. 
And uh, a big thank you to all of our listeners. Please uh, leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future guests um, or future topics, we'd love that feedback as well. And we certainly love when you uh, pass along this podcast to your colleagues, coworkers, friends, family, pets, or anybody else that may be us. And we'll see everyone next week. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for the time today. I appreciate it.